With transformation teaching, I have to lay down a lot of fundamentals and foundation so that you're going to understand a lot more and it will make sense as we go on. Don't get discouraged, please. This is a journey that's for the rest of your life. So please be patient and let's go on that journey together right now. Welcome everybody to the second teaching in the Transformation series entitled Transformation, Why Do I Need It? Let's look in Hebrews 12 verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. I always tell people, now you have salvation, now get transformation. This is healing through sanctification and transformation of character and getting us ready in preparation in life with God for all eternity. We are to be transforming into His likeness, or as Paul puts it, in the same image. And it's a journey. It's not just follow steps one, two, three, four, and poof, it's, you know, it's all done. It's, it's not a formula. People are looking for answers in their life. And along the way, you will get answers to all of your questions like, how do you deal with difficult people? How do you walk in forgiveness or love continually and love this person or that person? And we hear this a lot in um, on social media and through people talking. They said, I would rather just tell them to get away from me. You're so toxic. And some people are toxic. A lot of people are. They just don't want to learn. They don't want to understand God's principles and teachings and put it to practice in their lives. But the people that are, they may be toxic, but if they're willing to receive, we need to continue with them to teach them and guide them and help them as the Lord leads. And other questions like, how do you keep your peace? Or why do these things always happen to me? And why do I always attract these types of people in a relationship? Transformation is the key for the answers to all of these questions and more. Let's go back to Hebrews 12, but let's look in verse 15. And it says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Now, when Christ went to the cross, he nullified the power of sin because he crucified all of our sins on the cross. But our sin nature won't agree to that. You're born again, but sin or your behaviors keep springing back to life. So what we have to do is do our part that's described in Luke 9.23. If anyone wishes to come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We must bring those behaviors and structures of our sin nature to death daily on the cross. Jesus died on the cross, yes, and nullified the power of sin, yeah. 
but we have to put it to death in our lives. And we put our faith and trust in Jesus because he got the victory and we get the victory through him. But we must um, notice something in verse 15, which is very, very important here. And many become defiled. We're not singular individuals. We are corporate beings. And we are like radios that impact everybody else. You know, through my life, and I'm sure your life too, I've met a lot of people and I've talked with a lot of people or, you know, I've just sat by people. They didn't even have to say anything. But with some people, you feel good. And when you sit by other people, you feel like, oh, God, you know, get away from me. That's because what is in the other person is either blessing or defiling you. And there are specific ways that bitter roots defile you. So what is in each of us will either bless or defile others. And it broadcasts out of us, like I said, like a radio. Let me lay this foundation uh, before I go on. The world in which we live is a legal universe. All of life operates on legal principles. We're not talking about going underneath, underneath the law again. Um, but Satan knows that it's the Word of God that keeps us in check, our behaviors. The Word of God, think of it as a fence around you. David said in Psalm 119, 10 through 11, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. That's why it's so, so important to get God's word in your heart. But Satan knows that if he could destroy the belief of God's word out of man's heart, he could unleash the evil and lawlessness of mankind. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. We are living in the age of lawlessness. People don't believe that God's word is true, that it's absolute. We have people living together without being married, and the laws of God are not in their hearts. They attend church, become leaders, and think that they're good Christians. The law of cause and effect has been destroyed in the hearts of people. People don't think in legal terms. They don't think that if I do this, this will result. That's why we have rising divorce rates in the church. We have STDs. We have all kinds of stuff going on. And people are blindsided because they don't understand the law of cause and effect. One of the examples in the word of cause and effect uh, is in Matthew 7, verse 1 through 3. We see, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is cause and effect, and the world calls it karma. I remember in 1970, John Lennon called it instant karma. 
in Luke 6.38, we see, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The church usually uses this pertaining to money, but it is cause and effect. So, do this experiment with me. I like to do this analogy and grab a pen and drop the pen. Tell me, why does it fall? Gravity, of course. So, drop the pen again. Now, if it breaks, was God mad at my pen? No, it was just law. So, what if I gave my pen a mind of its own and it didn't want to fall? So, you drop the pen. Did it matter what it thought? So, a person doesn't think it's wrong to lie down with the same sex. Nothing should happen. So, you drop the pen. Law is law. This is why we have STDs, AIDS, and for a lot of people, death. I remember when AIDS came out, I mean... And when it was realized, man, it, it was just all over the news. I mean, thousands and thousands of people in Africa and the United States were all dying of AIDS. But we see a married couple having sex with each other has never created a sexual disease. Two people who are not married, though, who say that they are consenting adults, nothing should happen. So we drop the pen. Law is law. We have all kinds of sexual illness, and people want to invent medicines to cure things instead of stopping their sinning. Today, I want to equip you with the knowledge of why things happen so you aren't blindsided. So when we're uh, children and we judge our parents and reap as adults, it's no longer a mystery, and we're no longer blindsided. A lot of people, including me, judged my parents and reaped as an adult. And I wondered, what happened? You can always track that fruit or the behaviors to the root and find out what happened and stop it at the source. These are just fundamental principles of how everything works in the transformation process. Now, I'm a detailed person, <laughs> and I like to meditate on things, but why things work, and what causes this, and what, what happens with that and everything. And so, one day, I was thinking about the soul and the spirit. Now, we've always been told that the soul of a person is the mind, will, and emotions. Well, let me correct that. The soul of a person is the mind and the will. The soul is eternal, and the mind and the soul, it uses the brain, which is that three pounds of green matter in your head to process the information. You know, I could go out to any cemetery and dig up millions of people, and their brains will still be in their head, but the soul is not there. That's because the soul and the spirit are eternal. Your soul uses your brain, and when you die, your soul and your spirit go in, into eternity as is. Your spirit is the heart. 
or the core of a person. The real you. That's the real you. The heart, as I found out, a lot of people actually believe that the heart uh, is the physical heart that pumps blood through your body. That's not true. No. Your heart or your spirit is where your emotions are tied to images and life experiences. The heart, the spirit, that's your limbic system in the brain. That's where all of that is stored. So Paul was right in Romans 12 too, where he said, renew your mind because both your soul and your spirit are in your brain. They use different parts of the brain. So when you read the word of God, you're renewing your mind to the correct way of thinking. And if your heart or your spirit is willing and, and humble to receive it, it gets deposited in your spirit, which is the core of you, so that your soul and your spirit are working in unison. And this is where God's word is powerful in your life and comes to pass because his word comes to pass in your life and his super is put on your natural. And let me use an example from my life that in 2001, when my adoptive mom was dying of liver cancer, I brought her home from the hospital and I was an alcoholic all my life and for like 50 some odd years. And so the first thing I did was I went out into the kitchen, to the refrigerator to get something in the drink. The only thing she had was a beer. So I cracked open the beer, went into the living room, sat down, and I drank about a quarter of it. And I just looked at it and I said, you're not doing me a bit of good. And I got up. And I went to the kitchen and I poured it out and I didn't drink anymore for nine more years. And I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. But I was like, Lord, what happened? I don't feel like drinking. And years, like back, years ago, back in 1980, I was in Bible school and they had us memorize scripture. So I memorized Mark 11, 23 and 24. Now it goes in as it does with the scripture. You speak under that mountain that it would be removed and cast into the sea. And you couldn't believe how many times I did that in my life to speak to the alcoholism and say, you will, you know, I speak to this mountain, be removed. <laughs> Nothing happened. But it came out that day when I spoke to it and I removed it, was removed from my life. And Jesus said, when I asked God, he said, you spoke and used Mark eleven twenty three and 24. It went in one way and came out another. In other words, it got deposited into my heart. It was mixed with faith. And when I needed it, it came out in power. And I didn't drink for for nine years. And later on, I continued to drink. Uh, after that nine years, I started to drink again. And that's because I didn't have these principles in my life. I didn't understand 
why I was doing what I was doing. But anyway, uh, I can get into that much later. Um, but I wanted you to see how God's power in your life, when your soul and your spirit work in unison, power comes out from it. That's why when you're sitting in church and you hear a pastor and he's preaching a message and you're like looking at your watch like, you know, uh, the game's on or, you know, I can't wait to get to that restaurant and everything. That's because what's happening is that pastor basically probably sat down at his kitchen table, just wrote out messages, you know, scriptures and all that and just created a message and everything and just delivered it. It wasn't experiential knowledge. And so this is what we have to do as believers. We have to get the word in us to renew our minds. As Paul said in Romans 12 verse 2, but we also have to be willing and humble to get it into our hearts so our mind and our hearts work in unison so that God's word can come to pass in our life. Now, what is a root? Let's look at that. Our spirits experience life. If it's a good loving home, affection from parents, our spirits learn to drink correctly, like a root of a tree drinking and getting nutrients from the ground forming the roots. These are behavioral structures. And in a good home, our spirits learn to drink correctly, the way God designed it, or the way God designed us, forming good roots. In other words, we learn how to relate to other people and have relationships in a healthy way later on in life, and they will go to good sources later on in life and not be attracted to bad sources because while growing up, they learn to drink from the good source. And this is our character. But if that doesn't happen to us and we experience anger in the home, abuse, abandonment issues, rejection, we will tend to isolate ourselves, put up walls of defense against the bad things that are happening around us, and not learn how to relate to others. So we learn a bitter root. So we won't be able to relate to others in a healthy way, and we end up reacting to what is done to us instead of responding. This forms in us a bitter root. In Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train up a child in the way that they should go. So as you're learning this, this needs to be instilled in our homes. We don't know God's principles as a child. And, and it, you know, it seems unfair that, um, you know, we would reap the consequences that was in our childhood that we judged. But... We don't know God's principles as a child, so that's why we do what is natural and react to the situation instead of responding with God's principles. And roots are actually formed by the age of three. And 
they've done studies and everything of a baby in the womb, and the baby can actually perceive what is happening outside of the womb. Like if there's any uh, sort of abuse or anger or uh, a lot of frustration, fear, all that in the home, the baby picks up on that. Or just the opposite happens too. If there's good in the home, the baby picks up on that. So the roots are formed by age three, but they are cemented by age five. And after that, we are building the trunk, which is the character, and then the leaves, like in our uh, teenage years and all that, the leaves of the tree. Remember in the Gospel of John where, where Jesus talks about the sower? Well, he is talking about the roots in people's lives. And I want to go ahead and just read the whole thing. I want, I want you to get the full impact of his word because there's things that you can pick up on that I might not be teaching or whatever, but I'm just giving a lot out. I want to give the whole thing out so that God and the Holy Spirit will be able to work in your life the way he wants to. And so we see in the parable of the sower, uh, actually it's in, in Matthew 13, verse 3 through 8. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the road, and the birds came and ate them. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. So, now we go into the explanation of the sower that Jesus gives. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world, and the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. So we got to remember that every good tree bears good fruit. Every bad tree bears bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, and a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. 
This is talking about character. So we need to bring those bad roots to death on the cross. And in Matthew 7, verse uh, 17 through 20, it's that verse, every, every good tree bears uh, good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. But in this, Jesus is talking about someone who does not have a positive root. So they believe mentally and quickly, and then they wither and die. In other words, they fail when temptation or trials come. They don't know how to relate to other people, so they push people away and isolate because there's no positive root in its place. Uh, they will have negative roots. But the one who the seed is, uh, was sown on the good soil, these are the people that have a good positive root from childhood and temptations, trials, as well as relating to others isn't difficult for them. They can give out to others in a healthy way in life and they'll be able to receive from others. One thing I want you to notice in life is don't ever allow a noble reason behind a bad action. That is an impossibility. Example, my dad used to beat me and he would say it's because I needed discipline and I needed to be taught a lesson. No, there was a bad root in him and that was abuse. If there's a bad action, there's a bad root behind it. And I found out later um, through a lot of counseling and everything, he, he clammed up so he would never tell me what happened in his childhood and everything. And um, I found out he was violently treated himself. Again, if there's a bad action, there's a bad root behind it. There's never a good reason why you sin. If we have bitter roots, then we can also perceive God as harmful. So what is a bitter root? Bitter roots are not what was done to us, but our sinful reactions to what happened to us. They are critical condemning judgments, and they are a refusal or ability to not forgive someone, and roots have power to defile many, even ourselves. They are people who have not developed the way God designed us to live, to have a good root. Let me interject this, that if there is a situation in a person's life that is perceived, it is still real to them, even though it never happened the way they perceived it. This could cause bitter roots and bitter root judgments. Someone that perceives the situation a certain way because it is perceived, they will have no details of that situation. If it's not perceived and it's exactly the way uh, the situation happened, the person will recall all details of the incident. Have you ever been around a person where you feel or where you're talking to them and, and you feel frazzled? You stumble over your words saying the wrong things. After you're done, you get away from that person and you feel yourself again. You feel 
wise. You come back to your your senses and your yourself again. That's because those bitter roots are broadcasting out of that person to you and you are overcome temporarily. And there's a difference between bitter root judgments and bitter root expectancies. Bitter root expectancies are psychological. A bitter root is expectancy is when I was a child, my dad didn't give me affection or love. That formed in me a bitter root expectancy that when you get married, your husband or wife will not give you any affection. And that broadcasts out like a radio to the other person. An example of bitter root judgment is back in my childhood. My dad molested me. And while I was naked, he would beat me. This went on for years. And my adoptive mom never did anything about it uh, or did anything to stop it. But one day I heard uh, footsteps coming uh, down towards the door and I knew it was her. And my dad stopped doing what he was doing to me and then the footsteps went away. And then he continued to molest and beat me. So my mom never did anything to stop it. I, and I remember this one day where my adoptive dad was out of control. He had a lot lot of whiskey uh, that he drank. I mean, this guy could put away the booze like nobody's business. So I was an alcoholic from my real dad. And in my uh, adoptive home, both of my parents were alcoholics. And my mom, my adoptive mom, actually was bipolar. So he had a lot of lot to drink that day. And while he was beating me, he was like, that guy beating Jesus in the scene of the movie, The Passion. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but his face was contorted just like that guy in the movie. It, it just looked the same way. And he was beating me so hard, and I kept asking him and pleading with him, stop. But um, there was a point where I could barely stand anymore, and I hobbled over to the bed took uh, my blanket off of the bed, put it in the corner of the room, and I laid down in the fetal position. Then my adoptive dad, he was coming towards me to beat me again, or beat me some more. And then the door flew open, and it was my adoptive mom. And then she started to shield me from him. She said, do not lay another hand on him. Then she asked, my adoptive dad, why does he always have to be naked? She didn't know what happened all those years. She, she, uh, she had, I, I don't know if um, she always looked in on me or opened the door. I don't know. Um, but she said, why does he always have to be naked? And so I made a bitter root judgment against her and, and an expectancy the woman will not protect me because she doesn't love me. So when I got married to my wife, Cindy, she couldn't protect me and she couldn't figure out why. And no matter how much she would love me, I never felt like she did. My bitter root expectancy was broadcasting out to her, you're not going to protect me 
and you don't love me. And a Proverbs woman wants to protect her household, even her husband. So what I had to do now that I uncovered that was to bring it to death on the cross and be, and be set free from it. I had to go back into the past in my mind and heart and see the bitter root judgment against my adoptive mom and see that she did just the best that she could, which was not much. And what she had, which <laughs> that wasn't much, and keeping in mind that she was an alcoholic and she had bipolarism, very dysfunctional, and I had to forgive her. And God gave me a revelation over a decade ago when I was trying to forgive my dad and my mom for what he did for what they did to me or what they didn't do for me. And I speak to a lot of people who can't forgive in situations, but I hope this will help in that. Um, and God gave me this revelation that was so revolutionary. You've got to sit there. You've got to meditate on this stuff. And you've got to go back into your childhood. And a lot of people say, well, I can't change my childhood. Well, let me clue you in. Your childhood is plopped all over your life today. And a lot of people are walking around and they don't know it. But I wanted to learn how to forgive him and, her, and my mom and walk in forgiveness towards everyone the way he showed me. Um, and that was that I meditated on this fact that he was on the cross. He was beaten, just like me, which I could relate to. He didn't do anything wrong. And yet he says... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It just clicked with me. I mean, it just, bam, it hit me. And I, you know, because I desperately wanted to know how to walk in forgiveness. And I have found out that if you want something bad enough and you ask God, he's going to give you the answers to that which you ask. And he'll give you the ability to walk it out in your life. And that's why I always tell people, you need a willing and humble heart to be able to receive from God, to receive these teachings. You may not like the messenger. You may even shoot the messenger. But take what they say because it's working in their lives. Or if it's working in their lives, you take what they say and you apply it to your life because it's the truth of God. And meditate on that and be willing and humble to make it part of your life so that God's power can be demonstrated in your life. And I want you to remember something. If you don't get anything else from this teaching, you get this. Bitter roots are not what was done to us, but it is our sinful reactions to what happened to us. And so I'm going to do a part three, and it's going to reveal what you need to do. And with that, I really hope people will have a willing and humble heart to 
come back and listen to that teaching as well because that is what's going to set you free. I just really sense the need to pray for people right now. Father, I pray for the listening audience that they will have ears to hear, eyes to see, humble and willing hearts to receive from you that your power, your word will come to pass in their life, that they will recognize the bitter roots in their lives. They will recognize the things that are wrong in their lives and why they can't forgive and everything and be able to take this teaching and apply it to their lives so that they can be set free because you said to learn from you for your yoke is easy and your burden is light and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I pray that for everyone listening Everyone that's listening today, in the days to come, months to come, or years to come, even in the tribulation period, Father, I hope these teachings stay on the social media platforms that they need to stay on so that people can hear it and they can grow from it and they can go through situations with peace, with joy, with love, with every attribute that God has and the way we were designed to live. Remember, God's word works if you work it and it don't if you won't because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free.